Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. Grab a cup of coffee and join Colleen Tinker and Nikki Stevenson as they discuss their life after Adventism. Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. I'm Nikki Stevenson. And I'm Colleen Tinker. And today we are starting a new series. Yes. It's going to be brief, mm-hmm. only four episodes, but some of you guys have been interested in learning more about the clear word. That's right. And I want to say the clear word Bible. I do too, because that's actually what it is in their minds. It, essentially, it is what it is. It's mm-hmm. a verse by verse yeah. paraphrase of, of scripture. Today, we're going to talk about whether or not this book is even official. Isn't that an interesting question? I find that that question comes up about so many Adventist publications. Oh, it's not official. Yeah. In fact, just by the way, in the past, when Richard would have conversations with his parents about various things the Adventists published and sold in their Adventist book centers, talking about the Adventist doctrines or biblical doctrines that differed from the way my in-laws saw them, they would go, oh, well, that's their opinion. Mm-hmm. My opinion is X, Y, and Z. So there's always deniability built into Adventist stuff. That's very well put, Colleen. I felt like we saw a lot of that in the conversation between William Johnson and Walter Martin on the John Ankerberg show. Exactly. He would either say, well, that's not official, or he would say, you have to go to our official writing. They don't take responsibility for the fruit of what they produce. That's right. In fact, I find it really interesting that, just speaking of official writing, the book Seventh-day Adventists Believe, the explanation of the 28 fundamental beliefs that they publish and update every time they have a new fundamental belief, that is not even published by a specific person. It's published by the ministerial committee of the General Conference. It's like a committee function, a committee work. It's published by the church. You have to call it official, but it's commentary. So, you know, I don't know how William Johnson would characterize that to uh, Walter Martin today were they to have that conversation. But, you know, there's always deniability. Well, I didn't write that. Well, he wrote that. Well, that's his opinion. Now, in that interview, didn't he tell Walter Martin that they were not reprinting questions on doctrine because they were formulating another book that would explain the fundamentals? Did I remember that right? I think he did refer to the fact that they were writing the new book that was going to refer to the fundamental beliefs or that they had already been working on that. They had set up a new set of 27. At that point, it was 27 fundamental beliefs. They'd voted on them in 1980. Johnson, met with Martin in 1984. So, you know, to be honest, I don't remember when that first book, Seventh-day Adventists Believe, came out, Mm -hmm. but they had been working on it. So, yes, I do believe he did. I remember him saying that, that they weren't republishing Questions on Doctrine because they were going to work on this book explaining the 27 fundamental beliefs. But, you know, all of that is just so much smoke and mirrors. Yeah, that's the theme. We don't have a creed. But we have 27 fundamental beliefs you have to believe in order to be among us. Exactly. We don't have a Bible, but we have a verse-by-verse Old and New Testament rewording of the Bible. Called the Clear Word. And the first version was even called the Clear Word Bible. So, Colleen, talk to me about when that first version came out. I was quite young, so I don't remember any of that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I was quite young, too, but not quite as young as you. (laughs) Um, The first official clear word quotes Bible was published in 1994. What I remember was actually, I think, a couple of years later. I wasn't aware of it really right at first. Mm -hmm. I was still Adventist, and I remember realizing that it existed and that it was receiving some attention when I was actually working on the um, editorial staff of Adventist Today in the mid-90s. You know, I cannot remember the reason I was doing some research on it, but I remember realizing in the mid-90s, shortly after this book came out, I think I want to say 1996-ish, more or less, I remember realizing that this book was published by the Review and Herald Publishing Association. Now, for those of you who might not know, that is the flagship Adventist publishing house. 
it's the development of what was founded by James White as wow. the publishing house of the Adventist organization. Now, they have other official publishing houses now, too. In North America, besides the Review and Herald, they also have Pacific Press. But Review and Herald is the oldest, most long-standing one. It was the name of the official Adventist magazine that was published regularly and went free to all the members in the world for many years. And Review and Herald, there's no way around it. It is the authentic official publishing house of the Seventh-day Adventist organization. So to say it's not official and yet print it is doublespeak in a way. When you see a publishing house, it tells you essentially what kind of work it is that you're looking at. Mm-hmm. So when Review and Herald publishes this particular book, The Clear Word, it means that it stands up to Adventism. And I want to say, I know there was this whole debate right when it came out in 94, and I think it had four different editions in 1994. Is that correct? That is a really good point. Because of the the word Bible being in the title, that was something that was problematic, and so they needed to change it and make it more acceptable. Yeah. But even though that happened back in 94, Today, there's still confusion about whether or not this is a Bible. When we went to Michigan for the former Adventist Fellowship Conference out there, we had a little field trip over to Andrews University. Remember that? Mm -hmm. And I went into their bookstore there and I thought, I'm going to ask her. There was a a gal there who wanted to help. I'm going to ask her if she has a clear word. So I did. And she said, oh, come with me. And she led me away from all of the books over to the Bible section. Yes. And she was looking for it there, all over the place. Oh, it should be here, she said. Yeah. So they sell it with their Bibles. Absolutely. They advertise it with their Bibles. Mm-hmm. And the first time I encountered the clear word was actually in the early 2000s. I was in a Bible study and a young woman there said, oh, you guys, have you ever heard of this? This is really great because it has all of our teachings in it and it explains how the Bible teaches what we believe. And I remember thinking, well, that would be really helpful because I don't get it. She was bringing it to a Bible study. That's really interesting. And we have to back up a little bit to figure out where did this book come from? Because, you know, when you think about the development of Seventh-day Adventism, organized officially in 1863, as we have discovered over the years as we've talked about it, and we look at the fact that the clear word or the clear word Bible and its various variations was published in 1994 officially, you think that's late. That's late. Mm -hmm. Mormons have had their scriptures from the beginning. Jehovah's Witnesses published the New World Translation fairly early on. They have had their own Bible for a long time. In fact, that is one of the key things that causes people to think there may be a cult there or a really serious prevarication of Christianity. So it's really late in the game. So I think we need to back it up just a little bit and remember how this came about. Nikki, you and I, because of the grace of God, didn't have to do all this research. Mm. We are drawing on the excellent detailed research done by Steve Pitcher Mm -hmm. over the years. He has done in-depth study on the clear word. And I just want to say this, Proclamation Magazine has published several of his articles about the clear word and about what it does with different doctrinal issues that Adventists believe and show how it twists scripture from what the scriptures actually teach and make it so that Adventism is easy to find. Those chapters, we really are going to finish and compile and finish editing all of his other chapters that we haven't published, and we will eventually be producing Steve's excellent work as an online book. So I just want to say that as we preface this whole subject, Mm -hmm. because we owe it to Steve that we're able to sit here and produce four podcasts with this research. Thank you, Steve. Yes, thank you, Steve. So one of the things that Steve helped me know, and I would never have known this on my own, is that the very first version of a clear word paraphrase didn't come out in 1994. It actually came out in 1990. Now, there's a couple of things that are significant about that. Before we talk about the theological reason that's really significant in terms of church history and Walter Martin and things like that, I want us to understand who wrote it? 
So Nikki, do you want to talk a little bit about who wrote The Clear Word and how it came about? This was written by Jack Blanco, and he's the retired dean of religion at Southern Adventist University. And here's where I literally drew my first red flag as I was going through the material. Mm -hmm. He was on a program called Between the Lines. It's produced by Review and Herald, and he talked about his methodology for writing this book. And I want to read you what he said to them. Mm -hmm. He said, if Jesus were here today, what would he tell you? Well, we know what he said, but how would he say it? If Jesus were here today, riding with me in the car or meeting me on a walk or whatever, and he's talking to me, how would he say what he said? So I started with the gospel of Mark and then start writing it down. And then, you know, you go on and you try to imagine how Jesus is talking to you, trying to make this clear. Then after you write a passage, then you read it and you say, well, let's see. Then you cross this line out or this word out. If you write in the margin, you know, this was just a personal experience. And then addressing the interviewer, he said, I used to get so caught up. I was in a different world. I was walking by the side of Galilee. I was listening to Jesus. So Blanco is explaining how he wrote his paraphrase of the Bible. And apparently he didn't begin by trying to write a paraphrase of the whole Bible, he started with the Gospel of Mark. And essentially, if you're thinking about creative writing or literature, what he is doing is writing essentially a fictional account, his experience, his reworking, his interpretation of the Gospel of Mark. This is incredibly alarming. It's incredibly alarming. He's imagining what Jesus would say to him, and then he's crossing things out Yeah, and he's rewording it. This is a very big red flag. Yes, this isn't the Bible. This is Blanco's fictional account of how he thinks Jesus would talk to him. And another thing Blanco said in other places was that he had written this as a devotional help, as a devotional guide, as a story for his grandchildren to help them understand the Bible. So he's making things up for the sake of his grandchildren, for the sake of who knows what. And, you know, I want to ask, and I have no way to know the answer to this, at what point did he start thinking about the dollars he could make if he published this? Because he did retain the copyright to this book. So the copies of this book that have been sold over the last 30 years are royalties for him. You know, one of the things that we try to emphasize on this podcast is the trustworthiness, the veracity, the clarity, the authority of scripture and how we approach it, how we read it, how we place ourselves under it. And you read something like this. And I honestly, I picture being in a Bible study with a guy like this. Oh, no kidding. (laughs) And I I would, I couldn't stay. I'd never do it. I couldn't sit under someone who believes that they have the freedom to play with the holy, verbally inspired, inerrant Word of God. It's a playground. I totally agree. And you know, this is coming from a man who actually is highly educated. He knows the biblical languages, and he was the chairman of the School of Religion at the Southern Adventist University for many years. He was the dean of religion at Southern Adventist. This is not just a man who woke up in his local church one day and said, oh, I'm going to try to make the Bible interesting for my grandkids. This is a man with reputation, with education, and with a position of trust. And this is what he did to the Bible. So when we look back in time, we realize that there is a timeline for when Jack Blanco released his paraphrases. This very first paraphrase that he wrote, beginning with the Gospel of Mark, he expanded out into something he called the New Testament paraphrase. Now, what's so interesting here is that he published his New Testament paraphrase in the year 1990. Now, that is an extremely significant thing because, as we have said, having your own private Bible or your own private translation of the Bible is a mark of what apologists would sort of look at and call, that's the mark of a cult. What's significant about the year 1990, Nikki? It was a year after Walter Burton passed away. So Walter Martin, as we all remember, was the apologist who wrote The Kingdom of the Cults. 
And when he wrote The Kingdom of the Cults, he very clearly, after interviewing people from these religions, he explained how Mormonism was a cult, how Jehovah's Witnesses were a cult. Adventism had been considered a cult prior to Walter Martin. But Walter Martin, as we know, had his conversations with the Adventists appointed to him by the General Conference to talk to him in 1955. And after his conversations with those Adventists, he decided Adventism was not a cult, that it was what he called heterodox, but that they actually believed the true gospel and that there were true believers in Adventism. And when he wrote The Kingdom of the Cults, he placed Adventism not in the body of the book, but in the appendix where he explained it as a heterodox Christian organization. And following the publication of the book Questions on Doctrine, which the Adventists wrote to explain to the church members how they had convinced Walter Martin that Adventism wasn't a cult, um, it confused the church members. It sort of satisfied Walter Martin because it sounded Christian. But then that book, Questions on Doctrine, which was published in 1957, went out of print. By the 1980s, Walter Martin was getting letters from many Adventist pastors who had been fired because, number one, they had been preaching what Walter Martin had read in Questions on Doctrine. They were preaching the way Questions on Doctrine explained the doctrines. But even more to the point, they were preaching what Desmond Ford had revealed about the investigative judgment not actually being in Scripture. So, They were being fired for teaching things carefully in the phrasing of questions on doctrine, and they're writing to Walter Martin going, we don't know what's going on. So Walter Martin reopened his concern. And many of us have seen, and if you haven't, you should go online and find it. There was a five-part series between William Johnson and Walter Martin on the John Inkerberg Show in which William Johnson and Walter Martin discussed Adventism and why that book, Questions on Doctrine, had not come back into print. At the end of these five interviews, Walter Martin admitted, and we could see it's visibly apparent in the videos how upset Martin is getting. And he says, if that book, Questions on Doctrine, is not reprinted, I don't know how the label of cult can help but be reapplied to this organization if indeed it should ever have been removed. Mm -hmm. Well, that was 1984. And Walter Martin died before he saw the end of the story. He died suddenly in 1989. And right after his death, the first Jack Blanco paraphrase of the New Testament was published. He would have seen right through that. He would have absolutely exposed Adventism for what it is. Walter Martin would have, yes, absolutely. So we know that in 1990, this first paraphrase was published, the New Testament paraphrase. Then, as we have said, in 1994, he had the whole Bible paraphrased, and he published that under the name The Clear Word. But there was criticism, even within the ranks, of having the word Bible attached to it, the Clear Word Bible. So, a revision was published without the term Bible. In 1994, there were still two more revisions done to the Clear Word. So, in 1994, there were four different versions of this paraphrase published. In 1994, also, he published a paraphrase of the Gospel of John. Now, it's just interesting to me to see the progression. So, 1994 was when the first Clear Word quotes Bible was published. And that was shortly before I learned about it, uh, maybe a year or two before I learned about it. That's when I was doing the research and finding out that even it, even though it was considered, quotes, unofficial, oh no, that's not an official Adventist Bible. Oh no, that's not an Adventist Bible. That's just a devotional paraphrase for study. But I found out that Review and Herald publishes it. In 2000, There was another revision done of the clear word, taking out some of the more cultic phrases, the more clearly Ellen White-inspired ideas. And then in 2003, there was yet a more current upgrade, and that's the version that is still being used and sold in their Adventist book centers today. It's now 20 years old, and it is called the clear word. And it still very much incorporates Ellen White's ideas into the text of Scripture. In 2004, a pocket-sized edition was printed, 
In 2005, there were two paraphrases published. One was called the Easy English Clear Word, and the other one was called the Clear Word for Kids. Now, what's really interesting about those two is that they are exactly the same in content, but they have different titles for different audiences, and I want to say follow the money. Yeah. You have two different audiences you can sell this to. In 2006, there was a giant print edition published. It seems to be also of the 2003 version. In 2008, he had another condensation that he published called Savior. And he, as he put it, condensed the four gospels into one story. In 2009, he published a book called Witness, which is his condensation of the New Testament from Acts through Revelation. And then in 2010, he published a book called Visions and Dreams, which is a condensation of Daniel and Revelation, and he calls it a fresh look at Daniel and Revelation. (laughs) How many different versions are there? There are many of these different books, and they're on sale in the Adventist Book Center. So, you talk about money, you talk about royalties, you talk about different audiences, but this is all Jack Blanco's imagining of what Jesus would say to him. This is horrifying. This is absolutely horrifying. When we understand what scripture actually is, and we look at what this man has done to it and what this organization is profiting from, it's sickening. It was actually hard to prepare for this podcast. And the Adventist book centers sell them, still sell them, still sold as Bibles to Adventists everywhere. One of the things that we've talked about several times here on the podcast is the bite model that was created by Stephen Hassan, and it stands for behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotion control. And it's talking about essentially mind control and undue influence that cultic groups have over its members. Well, we saw in how Adventism dealt with Walter Martin that that information control also functions from the inside out. They have, like you called it, smoke and mirrors all over the place to deflect. Mm -hmm. And so even though they're printing, like you said, follow the money, they're making money on this, they're using their own official printing press to put this out there. They understand that this is a problem for the Christians on the outside who are looking in, and they've got to do some cleanup. So the Ministerial Association of the General Conference put this statement out. They said, to minimize the potential for confusing the clear word with an actual Bible, we recommend that it not be used for preaching from the pulpit or in Sabbath school. Now listen to their reason. This would be a serious stumbling block to non-member visitors who may already associate Adventists with cults like Jehovah's Witnesses who design their own Bibles to teach their strange beliefs. They don't say, we don't want to confuse our own members. No. They're fine with the members believing everything that's in the clear word because the clear word accurately reflects the Adventist worldview. You can't get the Adventist worldview from scripture alone. So the clear word is a gift to the Adventist organization. It helps them propagate their worldview in ways that the common layperson can't even detect as they read. But they're aware of the fact that this is problematic. And so we're not going to lead with it in our sermons. We're not going to lead with it in our Sabbath school lessons in case we have visitors and they think that we are like Jehovah's Witnesses. (laughs) Exactly. Now, to be fair, there are many Adventists who disagree with the way the clear word is used. They disagree with the people who do use it in Sabbath school and church. But the fact is, in spite of all these official sounding statements and these statements that say, oh no, it's not a Bible, it's just a devotional guide, it's a, it's a Bible study tool, we don't promote it as a Bible. The fact is, people do use it that way. And nobody is stopping them. It's still being sold because it's being used that way. And like you said, Nikki, if you open the clear word, you will see it organized and divided exactly like a Bible. The books of the Bible are listed in the front. And then you go through it and you have chapter and verse. And you have Adventist interpretations and Ellen White ideas woven right into the text. And unless you know the Bible, you can't tell. Yeah, they're not cited. Which reminds me of the 28 Fundamental Beliefs book. The 28 Fundamental Beliefs explains how to understand the beliefs from the inside. The outside 
and I say that as people who are outside of the organization, they may not understand Mm -hmm. what that thing is really saying, but the insiders do. Mm -hmm. Well, and you have various quotes in that book by Ellen White that they do cite, but when they get to the chapter on the great controversy, they don't cite her at all, even though the whole thing came from her. And we see that that this is just a larger manifestation of that kind of deception. That's right. You know what, Colleen, I never actually read The Clear Word as an Adventist. Mm-hmm. I never read it out of it until I was a former Adventist. I was pretty horrified. Can we read some examples? Absolutely. Let's begin with John 1.1, 1, 1, because this is the big verse that apologists will look at to determine whether or not a system is a cult. Right. And when we were on cultish, they asked us, what do the Adventists say about John 1.1? 1, 1? That's the go-to. So mm-hmm. let's see. The English Standard Version reads, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. The clear word says, before the beginning of everything, going further back than can be imagined, the word of God was there, and the word of God stood by the side of God, and the word was fully God. So this might seem benign, but this phrasing allows for several different heresies to exist, doesn't it? Absolutely. In the beginning was the word is how the Bible actually says it. The way Blanco changes that is before the beginning of everything. He's placing a time limit on what the beginning is. He's saying before the beginning of everything, going further back in time than can be imagined, the word was there. He is leaving a place for the original Arian belief that Jesus had a beginning. He's leaving space in time. He's creating a space in time where Jesus came into being before anybody can remember, but wasn't always there eternally. That's what he's saying. And they definitely need that space in this for the Seventh-day Adventists. Absolutely. You know, that makes me think too, even if he didn't mean to do that, even if that was an accident, this is why we don't play with the words of scripture because every word is God breathed and it's there for a reason and it addresses every heresy. And the minute we paraphrase it intentionally or not, we make room for all kinds of problems. That's right. But you can be sure that Blanco knew what he was doing. He was an Adventist theologian. Yeah. He knew what he was doing. The text also makes space for a non-Trinitarian or a tritheistic or bitheistic approach to God. Absolutely. For example, the next thing that the actual Bible says is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, so we are being presented in the Bible with the idea of the Word, the logos in Greek. This is referring to the second person of the Trinity. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, Blanco says, farther back in time than can be imagined, the, and he puts quotes on it, the Word of God was there. And the quotes, Word of God stood by the side of God. Do you see what he's done? He has separated Jesus from God. He has made Jesus an emanation of God. The Word of God stood by God. So, he has made Jesus something that proceeded from God, that stood by God, that is not God, that is just his word. That's not the point of the Bible's text. You know, while there's mystery in here that we can't fully unpack in the book of John, the fact is John is describing God the Son, who is 100% eternal God, He is not different in substance, in power, in authority, in eternality, in omnipresence. He has all the attributes of God. Blanco is reducing him Mm -hmm. to something that came out of God and stood by God. Which is what was taught by the early Adventists. And then he ends this verse with this sentence, and the word was fully God. Nikki, I learned that. I learned, oh, Jesus is fully God. But I did not learn what that actually meant in a Christian sense. When I learned Jesus is fully God, it was like, well, yes, there's God. And if you take a little bit out of God, that's fully God. But it wasn't like he was all of God. That's the difference. 
It gave me a Jesus that didn't have all the attributes of God. And I grew up thinking of Jesus as sort of a smaller God, a meeker, milder, gentler version of God, who wasn't the big God, Mm -hmm. as our friend Sharon Carey says, Mm -hmm. but was the littler Jesus. And that's what Jack Blanco is describing here. You know, I think when when I heard that, that Jesus was fully God. I heard it similar to what you might tell um, a, an adopted child. You're fully a part of this family. Yes. It was a full inclusion, yes. but it wasn't the same substance. Yes, exactly. That's it. That's it. And Blanco has made very sure that that difference is written into this verse. And that's really important when you understand Adventist history and the history of its doctrines. Absolutely. And if people think that we are just picking on one verse, we can keep going. Let's do it. So in John 8, verse 58, the English Standard Version reads, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I love that. I love that. What is he saying? He's God. Yes. He's using the name of God. Mm -hmm. I am. Before Abraham was, I am. So what does Blanco do? Well, he writes, Jesus said, because I existed before Abraham was born. That's not what John is saying in his book. See, this is not a paraphrase. This is an interpretation mm-hmm. is what this is. Mm-hmm. And they tuck it under words like, oh, this is just a paraphrase because he's putting it in his own words. But he's interpreting what's being said and what's being taught and putting that in his own words. Yes. He's veering away from God's own testimony about himself. Yes. And he's using an Ellen White worldview to make his interpretation. This is not a paraphrase. This is, like I said earlier, a fiction. This is like a work of fiction based on the Bible. And if you're not sure about what the Bible says, a person can easily be misled. So then in John chapter 10, verse 30, the ESV reads, I and the Father are one. Now in the first edition of the clear word, it says, you see, my Father and I are like one. And in the current clear word edition, it says, you see, my father and I are so close, we're one. That's enmeshment. That's That's not the Trinity. No, that's not same substance. Mm -mm. That's metaphor. In what Jack Blanco does in the clear word is he makes a simile out of what he is assuming John's gospel is using as a metaphor. When Jesus says, I and the Father are one, that is not a metaphor. Mm -mm. That is reality. That is utter perfect, same substance reality. I and the Father are one. Can I explain that? No. No. How do we know who God is fully? We only see dimly as in a mirror. We can't see everything. Reality is so much bigger than we can see, but we know what God has revealed to us. And Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Jack Blanco makes it. We're just so close. We're like one. See, This takes me back, Colleen, to our, I think, very first episode of this podcast where we talked about why are we doing this? And it's because Adventism and the Adventist worldview puts a stumbling block between man and God's testimony about himself and makes it impossible for us to know who God is through their worldview, through their lens. They place a veil that covers the truth of God and magnifies their own ideas and their own humanity. And that's what he's doing with this. And they are saying that, no, it's not a Bible, but it's useful for studying the Bible. It's an expanded paraphrase. It's a devotional. No, no. No, it lies about who God is, lies about his nature. That's heresy. It's heresy. Well, Nikki, let's look at Genesis 1. <laughs> okay. I think this one's really interesting because it reveals, I think, the way all of us were taught. And you know, this is one of those things that when I talk to Christians who've never been Adventist, they don't they don't really understand this. They don't understand how we were taught to think. So, Nikki, let's read what it says about God creating man. Okay, so from the English Standard Version, Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says, 
Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then the clear word reads, But this was not the end of his work for that day. Next, he said to his son, Now let us make beings who look like us and can reflect our thinking and our personality. Let's give them the responsibility of ruling over and caring for the fish, the birds, and the animals which we created. So they created two human beings, a male and a female, equal but with different functions, to reflect the unity of the Godhead. Well, that just changes all the purposes and points of the actual book of the Bible, Genesis 1. First of all, in the Bible, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Blanco says, But this was not the end of his work for that day. Next, he said to his son, Nikki, is there a distinction? Is there the reference to son in the actual words of scripture here? No, there isn't. But in Ellen White's pre-creation history, God chose to bring Jesus in on this big creation thing he had planned. Exactly. So from Ellen White's earliest supposed history of the creation of the world before there was a creation of the world, she has made a distinction between the Father and the Son. She clearly does not believe and did not teach that the Father and the Son shared substance. Now, you might say, but the Bible says, let us make man in our image. He's implying. But it doesn't say God said to his Son. The fact that it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness suggests the idea of the different persons, but the persons of the Trinity are not separate beings. And this in Blanco and in Ellen White has made them separate beings. And for those who don't understand the Trinity issues in Adventism, even among their own members, there's discussion as to who the Holy Spirit is or what the Holy Spirit is. Ellen White calls him the Spirit of Christ. And it's said that he's just like this energy force, like electricity. There's all different kinds of understandings of the Holy Spirit. And it's very convenient that the third person of the Trinity is left out in Blanco's description. Not even mentioned. So here, after he addresses his son, (laughs) we have what he's going to do. Let us make beings who look like us and can reflect our thinking and our personality. Nikki, where does that idea come from? Ellen. And what does it mean from an Adventist perspective? Well, I know that as an Adventist, I believed that God had a body. Yes. And that Jesus had a body before he was incarnate, and that my ability to reflect and think and have personality is what made me human. And just on the side, that's why it wasn't really a big deal when people had abortions, because there was no personality or rational thought or anything like that happening yet. So what they're doing here is... They're making the way we are in God's image to be physical. Mm -hmm. And as an Adventist, that's what I learned in school. I don't remember hearing it overtly taught like you have a nose like God's nose, but they basically said that the way we look, the way we function is the way God is. And I understood as long as I can remember that the way I was in the image of God was that I looked like him. And I have never talked to an Adventist who didn't have that idea, one who grew up Adventist. Well, Ellen White asked Jesus, does God have a body like you? And he said, oh, yes, but you can't see it. It's hidden in glory. He has a form like mine. Blanco writes that in. Now, Nikki, what does it mean that we are created in God's image? Well, it means that we have a spirit. Jesus told the woman at the well, God is spirit. True worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. That means we have something immaterial that is our identity, which Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 9, that leaves the mortal tent when we die and goes to be with the Lord. And that is very much better, Philippians 1, 22 and 23. So we are spirit beings with a body. And what we understand now 
from what scripture reveals is that we are made in God's image. That's not about physical appearance because God is spirit. Being in God's image means that we have a spirit that can know him and worship him. That is the part of Adam and Eve that died the day they ate that fruit. That is the part of us that is born dead in sin, Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. That is the part of us that must be born again, as Jesus said to Nicodemus. We have immaterial spirits that are housed in physical bodies, and our immaterial spirit is the way we are in the image of God. And whatever it is, it's not described in detail. Whatever it is, it's different from anything the animals have, because even though they breathe and have life, they are not in the image of God. And Jesus came and died and took a human body and died to save man. And as much as I love Artie the collie, (laughs) Jesus did not become a collie. Jesus did not become an animal and die to save the animals. It even says in Hebrews 1, he did not come to minister or to serve angels. He came to serve the descendants of Abraham. Being in the image of God is not a physical thing. And Blanco has made it that. And he has to, because the Adventist view of man is that we do not have an immaterial spirit. That's the Adventist view of man. And this is a huge part of why they just can't grasp the Trinity. That's right. I remember asking um, a pastor at the last Adventist congregation I attended, what does it mean that he made us in his image, but he made us male and female? God doesn't have male and female parts, right? And he said, well, I think that it's because he created a relationship. And so you have two individual people, but they're in relationship with each other. And listening to that, thinking back on that, that is tritheistic. That is a Godhead. Yes. That is like a family, you know, God, the father, God, the son, and I don't know the Holy Spirit's the mom. mom? I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, I, I was actually just looking at a short on another podcast that I enjoy watching. And he exposes Adventist leaders quite a lot on his podcast. And he had a short that exposed a gentleman who was in a meeting. It was some kind of a Zoom meeting with other Adventists. And he made the statement that it really wasn't important to try to figure out all the issues with the Trinity. We really can't know. I mean, we're dealing with divinity. It's like a high moral ground to Um, not examine what the Bible says about God. You know, that is the place, I believe, where Adventism leaves the reservation. The fact that Adventism defines man as purely physical with no spirit that the image of God in man is physical and the way we function, the way we think, the way our minds work, that is not biblical. Jesus said God is spirit. True worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. Genesis 1 tells us that we are made in the image of God, but we know from Jesus himself that God does not have a body we can't make man just physical. It changes every single doctrine. It changes every single teaching of Scripture. And even if Adventists use all the same words, it makes it go a different direction, and it means something different. And Jack Blanco wrote that heresy right into the text. So while this book is technically not an official Bible, it's packaged like a Bible, It's put out in various forms, like so many of our Bibles are. Mm -hmm. Including Audible. Including Audible. Mm -hmm. It's sold in the Bible section, in the bookstores, on their website for the Adventist Book Centers. If you Mm -hmm. do a search for Bible, the clear word will come up. Yes. They're doing doublespeak. They're saying what needs saying to, to keep their nose clean. I like the way Pastor Mark Martin put it at the 2010 conference. He spoke on Friday night and it was called The Line in the Sand. And he said that of the clear word, he said the Seventh-day Adventists are offering a polluted well for their people to drink from. In that same talk, he shared a story of going to Wayne Grudem, who was a research professor of Bible and theology at Phoenix Seminary. He was also on the committee 
that put together the English Standard Version of the Bible. He's a very well-respected theologian. Many Christians listening will know who he is. Mm -hmm. He wrote a very easy to understand and thorough systematic theology. And there is a condensation of it called Bible doctrine that rocked my world shortly after I came out of Adventism. It was an amazing book. I recommend it actually to anybody, but go ahead. So Pastor Mark Martin went to Dr. Grudem and he had a clear word with him and he asked him to look at it. He was hoping to get a response from Dr. Grudem after he looked at it. But as soon as he was done reading it and comparing it to his original Greek and Hebrew Bibles, he was shaken and he said, wait a minute, I'll write you a response right now. And this is what he wrote. I do not think anyone should trust the clear word as a reliable translation of the Bible or even as a useful paraphrase. It repeatedly distorts the teaching of the Bible. It removes significant content that is in the original Hebrew or Greek and adds new ideas that are not found in the original texts. Verse after verse has been changed simply to support unusual Seventh-day Adventist doctrines, but these changes are not supported by reliable translations such as the KJV, NKJV, ESV, NASB, RSV, or NIV, or even by dynamic equivalence translations such as the New Living Translation or free paraphrases such as the Message. I was deeply troubled as I read various verses because it was clear that these verses were no longer the words of God only, but the words of God mixed in with many words of man and ordinary readers of the clear word will not be able to tell the difference. Wayne Grudem, PhD, Research Professor of Bible and Theology, Phoenix Seminary. There you have it. It's unreliable, and anybody who uses it will be led astray. An Adventist who reads it will be confirmed that the Bible teaches Adventism, but this is not a Bible, and these ideas that are written in here are contrary to the Bible. So as we move through our next episodes on the clear word, we're going to look at how the clear word distorts scripture to support some of the key Adventist doctrines that we all know so well. So as we conclude this particular episode, I want us to remember what the Bible actually is compared to what the clear word has tried to make it appear to be. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 remind us that there's nothing about God, nothing about his spirit, nothing about his word that we can avoid or run from. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 says this, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, by the way, there's that immaterial part of us, of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do." What this passage in the book of Hebrews says is that the word of God is inseparable from God himself. God's word, his real word, the word he has guarded and protected through the ages, the word he has overseen and taken care of and provided means for man to translate into our own vernacular languages, but he has still guarded the words. And the actual Bible is so profound that it's called the living word. It has the life of God in it. And when we submit ourselves to the word of God, we are submitting ourselves to God's own revelation of ourselves and of himself. God's word exposes us to ourselves. God's word reveals Jesus to us. God's word reveals a sovereign God to us. God's word reveals that the Holy Spirit is instructing us through the words of scripture. The clear word is not that. The clear word is Blanco's fiction incorporating the ideas of Ellen White and the worldview of Adventism, and it's creating a false scripture that actually sets Adventism apart as not a mainstream Christian religion. A true Christian religion would never use a book such as The Clear Word and call it even a devotional paraphrase because it leads people astray. 
if you have never been sure if you can trust the Bible, and I know a lot of people who grew up Adventists come out with that huge question, what can we really trust? How do we know the Bible is true? I can say this, God is more powerful than our doubts. God is the one who created us. He is the one who gave us our brains with the ability to ask the questions we ask. But He is also the light that shines in the darkness. And if we trust Him, if we put Him to the test, so to speak, and decide that we're going to take His Word at face value and give it a chance to prove itself, submitting to it in the way it instructs us to, trusting that God will not lie to us, and seeing what it reveals, we will be surprised because God will reveal Himself. The Bible can be trusted, it can be pushed, it can be tested, and it will hold up because it is the actual living Word of the living, eternal God. And if you haven't trusted this living and eternal God, This is a chance to do that. This is a chance to go to His Word and see what it tells us, that the Lord Jesus came incarnate as a man. He took our sin upon Himself, and He died for our sin, according to Scripture. He was buried and He was raised on the third day, according to Scripture. This living Word of God, the Old Testament, foretold that this would happen. And when he rose from the grave, he broke the curse of death for all who trust and believe in him. Our sin is forever taken care of when we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. And when we trust him, we will not only realize who he is, that he will give us new life and seal us with his spirit, but his book will be a completely new book. We will be amazed at how it speaks to us, what it reveals, what it says, and we can never look at it as something hard to understand again. So, trust Jesus. He has the answers to all of those questions you don't know how to answer. And join us next week as we continue through this series on the clear word with the goal that you will learn to see the true scriptures rightly and love them. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Former Adventist Podcast. You may email us at formeradventist at gmail.com. Former Adventist Podcast is a ministry of Life Assurance Ministries. For more information, weekly articles, videos, and a donation link, go to our website at proclamationmagazine.com. Proclamation Magazine.